Just on the horizon here, next week we will not have a regular debatable show. It will be all about Apple. So I'm sure you're probably a little excited about that in some way, shape, or form. Pretty much, yeah. And then the next one that we will have that's not going to be an official debatable episode will be on the 6th or technically the 7th. And that will be all about Google. So... Yep. Which really has been the focal point of a lot of our episodes lately is just because that's really what we're looking at in the fall uh, heading into the winter time as well. So yep. kind of kicking this off, I wanted to ask a question and uh, obviously this isn't anything new as far as our strategical um, buying practice when it comes to smartphones. Uh, but you feel like we're at a stage where you could actually stay a year behind or a generation behind and kind of have that as your buying the next um, phone. So let's say mm-hmm. you're on a 13 right now and you're going to buy a 14 when the 15 comes out. Is that something you feel like that people could actually do and feel comfortable with? Or do you think, you know, fear of missing out would play a too much of a role in that. I feel like there's already the looming shadow of uh, FOMO there. Yeah. I think for me, like if we're talking about budget wise, yes, I do think that's a, a critical decision to make because if you don't want to pay for the newest one, you pay for the previous version or the second previous, whatever. Yeah. In terms of like logistics and the whole reason why I didn't buy the 14. Well, number one, because I was on a monthly plan, yeah. but also just because there wasn't a whole lot that really intrigued me. And then similar with the 15 this year, kind of, that's going to be coming out. I'm waiting, kind of like you are, I'm waiting for that Ultra. I got you. I just don't, even with even with USB-C, better battery life, uh, you know, better camera and stuff like that. I'm just waiting for something that really blows my mind, blows me out of the water. Yeah, and we'll kind of hit on some more of this as we get along with this. Yeah. Show, but yeah. Yeah, I definitely see. I definitely see that as a as a critical point. But I was just kind of curious because I saw an article and it was something about this you know, this guy who uh, is about to buy the the fourteen uh, when the fifteen comes out. And mm-hmm. I was kind of curious, curious, like is that is there a point where we can actually start doing that? And I think from a tech enthusiast standpoint, no, there's really no way we can do that. Aside from the fact that it's our job to actually report on the latest that's coming out and also give our feedback as we're using these products. Yeah, it's just it's it's not something that we it's not feasible. Right. Uh, as far as a consumer such as listeners like you, I think that's a possibility that you could entertain. Is, is it something that I actually need to because obviously people like our parents, they're still on a 13 Pro. And um, I yeah. don't imagine they'll probably upgrade until 2029. No, I think my dad is a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I I could see him probably being on our timeline, too. I think he would do maybe the 16. Hmm. I'm actually surprised that by that. Possible. Well, I'm sure it would have to be either this year or next year because I see him also caring about uh, everything just being USB-C. I feel like that's something that he could that's you know, fair. Yep. see as an importance. Our mom, on the other hand, well, she just follows whatever my dad does. So, Or at least when it comes to technological aspects of her this life. Is, this is the true. same thing with my wife. And I'm sure your wife as well. Yeah, so, to an extent. But on a quick transition, we have to admit that we were wrong here at Stern's Tech Talk. And I really can't emphasize the fact that uh, we're glad that we're wrong. Okay. Another leak came out about the Pixel. And this was around the same time frame that we were recording. uh, It might have been even during the previous week of this past newscast for Stern's Tech Talk. Uh But Google released the um, simulator for the Pixel 8 and 8 Pro. 
So you go on their website, you click on the simulator, and you go into the model of the phone, and you get to see all these oh. things. It has like these little highlights of what the phone looks like. Okay. The part where we were wrong, or the rumors that we had mentioned, is that there is a SIM tray. Oh, that was my fault. I said that. No, rumor, I mean actually. it was no, no. That I mean I'm not blaming anyone specific because those are rumors that we had actually brought forth, and yeah, I'm just true. glad that that was something where we were wrong. Oh yeah, and it was that's. Like, I am thoroughly glad about that now, actually. Uh, that just gives me a sigh of relief because it's like another year with a SIM tray for Google. Um, no, that's great. Glad we were wrong. Yeah, and I think I can't remember if it was somebody on YouTube or if it was an article that I was reading, but they were like just – or U.S. carriers are not at that stage where they can perform eSIM efficiently and accurately. We've, we've discussed this yeah. ad nauseum. But uh, anyway, moving on to some automotive news. Yes, this may be another uh, car episode. Um, so Toyota, uh, they have a model called the Sentry. And uh, for the longest time, since the 1960s, they've uh, released this car uh, in their own country, in Japan. Uh, so it's not been available to anyone else outside that. Uh, and obviously in the past, uh, just recently, they uh, had switched to a hybrid of a V8 uh, version of it. Well, now they're actually releasing the an SUV of it, and this one yeah. is pretty interesting. I I very much love the interior, and it, it looks really good. It looks really fine, and there's even a version of this, uh, a a sporty version, if you will, where it has sliding doors, which you normally yeah. don't see in, in SUVs. Uh, that's something no. that's more held for vans uh, or maybe yeah, even vans. trucks, uh, but this is pretty nice and i'm i'm also interested in the, the possible horsepower in this thing so it's oh. similar to the from what this article claims uh the 2024 lexus tx 550 yeah uh which makes it a 406 horsepower so i'm interested to see like if that's the base or if it's even faster than that because this thing is a pretty big car and it has it's a four seater by the way. So four normally seater. SUVs yep. have five, but the reason why there are two seats in the back specifically is because this thing does have a lot of reclining and there's a lot of motion in that. Um, so this, it needs. This a lot is of space. definitely a luxury oriented car, and if if you've seen other vehicles out there, uh, such as um, vehicles from Mercedes or Genesis, and they kind of have that uh, luxury oriented feel in the back. This is exactly what this is uh, geared towards, and I think the article even said uh, it's it's meant for more of like an executive type of feel as you're being chauffeured around. Yes. Yep. And I have to agree that, yeah, not not to get in comparisons and such on the interior and exterior, but it does look very refined and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just going to mention just like the last couple of things. It does have about 5,600 plus pound curb weight. And Toyota will be releasing about 30 units per month. Obviously, like I already mentioned, it will be only released in the Japanese markets. And yeah. it will start at the equivalent of nearly $170,000. So, yeah, it's not a cheap car by any means. This is 100% no. a luxury chauffeur type car. So so when I looked at this car, I actually saw a couple of things pop out at me. And mm-hmm. it was pretty much on the exterior. So when you look at these pictures in the description, if you guys care to... A lot of mixed feelings about this. Yeah. Part of this car reminded me of something like a uh, mini Clubman. Mm-hmm. Other parts of this car reminded me of something like a Bentley. Mm-hmm. The front in some ways, or maybe even a corner profile uh, in the front, 
almost reminds me of a Kia Telluride or something like that. So there's there's a yes. lot of design cues in this that's pretty uh, interesting and I would borderline say appealing. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say this is the most attractive vehicle I've ever seen. Yeah. So, but then again, this is geared, like Riley said, towards the Japanese market. And yeah. I'm sure their design cues and stuff are a little bit more different than uh, us here in the States. So, correct. Yeah, 5,000 pounds, definitely going to need quite a bit of horsepower. Uh, it kind of reminds me of a little bit of what we see from the Hybrid Max mm-hmm. with uh, the Toyota Crown and the yeah. uh, Grand Highlander. So I feel like this could be one of those. And I'm curious if the fuel economy would reflect that as well, or if this would be a little bit more power hungry. Yeah, just kind of respond with that. It does... Because it says it's similar to that 2024 Lexus I mentioned in that 406 horsepower, claims 30 miles per gallon and 33-mile electric range. driving range. Yeah. That's about average, honestly, for, for those types of cars. Uh, although we do see even like much, much cheaper cars being able to do even more than that as being a hybrid. So Right, and I'm sure this is a, a lot of that curb weight is because of those luxury features. Most likely. Because so much yeah. adds on to it, and it, and it kind of gets crazy. But um. I saw this come on board, I think, on Facebook. I was posted by either um, Sofian Bay from Redline Reviews or Alex uh, Dykes from Alex on Autos. It was definitely clear this is not coming towards the U.S. I told Riley about this, and I even said it it would be kind of dumb to do this anyway. Yes. Because we've never really seen Toyota – I mean, probably back in the 80s or 90s we've seen this happen, but we've never really seen Toyota take a stance as far as um, luxury – when it comes to their mainstream brand. Uh, That's typically been reserved for Lexus or how they see themselves as far as Lexus is concerned. Other people don't technically label Lexus as a luxury. It's just kind of their more premium brand. Yeah. Do as you may. That's that's for you guys to debate about. We're not here to talk about that. But in either case, do you actually like this car? Would you wish that it would come to the States? Or if you were the type of executive that would go about that type of uh, vehicle? I think if the exterior changed a little bit, because I think you're right. It's not what I'm used to in terms of a Toyota at all. Yeah. I've never really seen manufactured cars from their homeland, if that makes sense. Uh, so it's weird for me to see this particular version of a toyota i've seen euro cars i have not seen yeah i've seen euro cars. cars yeah japanese no yeah and the the driver's side on the right is throwing me off yeah i guess other than that it just it seems odd and that's just that's mainly due to the fact that we live in the u.s and i'm not used to that type of thing yeah like i said yeah. if i was sort of brought into that i feel like i would it would be normal for me a bit uh because if a car in the u.s just started doing this type of thing i'd be like what what is this <laughs> Yeah, but I have to yeah. agree. And I, w- I would kind of close out this topic by saying that if it's one thing that I've learned about vehicles and new generations is that uh, pictures, even high quality pictures, don't ever quite do the vehicle justice. And I've actually seen this happen with uh, the upcoming Santa Fe that we've talked about here on Debatable. Uh, we've seen some I've seen some reviews and they've been like, you know, I thought this was really kind of gross or just way too boxy. And it just and then when they got actually in person with the vehicle, it really stood out to them and they liked it a lot better than they did on their first impression from the photos. So, yeah, which on a side note, the rear still looked ugly to them. And that's just I that would be surprising if I did find the rear to be more appealing to me. But 
in either case, yeah, I think the Sentry might look a little bit more attractive in person versus these pictures, but still, right. it's just one of those things when you look at, this, this is kind of the first time we've actually looked at an Asian car built for Asia. And uh, so it, it does um, kind of throw some some curves at us, especially with the interior and like Riley was saying with the, the, the steering wheel being on the right and whatnot, but it is what it is, and uh, one hundred seventy thousand dollars is pretty crazy. Yeah, but then again, like we said, it's it's an executive car, so right. We're going on eleven years now, mm-hmm. not the show. No, that'll be a long time. But the lightning port, and I'm kind of curious. We were kind of I was kind of looking back and seeing Phil Schiller announce the lightning port on the iPhone five back in 2012. And I just had to take a moment to ask this question. How long do you actually think it would have taken Apple to introduce a successor to the Lightning port on the iPhone if it were not for the EU? A long time. I'm thinking probably late 20s. Yeah. Seven, maybe eight. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Uh, Just based on their track record, it's kind of easy to see the data and extrapolate that and just be like, probably would be another eight years, honestly. Yeah. It's just kind of ridiculous that you have to be pushed and shoved to get something that I think most people would have been wanting, at least for the last few years. Like when this came out, a lot of people were uh, shocked, no pun intended, by it and maybe felt uncomfortable with this new change. And after a while, it started to, you know, catch on. People were enjoying it a lot. But then once USB-C started to be a very formidable interface, yeah. then people were starting to wonder, why is Apple not really doing this yet? And it's, I don't know. It's pretty sad when your consumers are speaking out for you. Yeah. Because, like you were saying, when when the original 30-pin came out and, you know, it was back in 2003 and things started to transition towards the end of that decade, uh, they were. They were a little bit shaken by that, a little bit off the norm. And I personally felt good about the lightning port because one, it was reversible. And I think that was probably one of the only things that was amazing about the lightning port is that it was reversible, but it came out around the same time as USB-C a little bit before it, because that's why Apple jumped the gun and just went for lightning instead of USB-C because it was going to take a a couple more years. But uh, aside from that, because they've been holding on to this for so long, it's been too long and people are no longer going to be worried that, oh no, another port is coming and now I have to buy all these new accessories. They're actually asking for it. They're waiting for it. They want the upgrade because so many other devices actually have this. And I was just talking about this with Riley last week, or actually it was this past Monday or Tuesday when we were recording. Uh, I actually had routed a lightning cable through my desk and I wanted to charge my iPad but I couldn't because it was a USB-C. Right. But in the end, I'm just glad it's coming. And yeah, I think it would have been quite a while before Apple would have finally, you know, realized, oh, we should we should give these people USB-C. But anyways, you have some news on Google. Yes. So this is probably one of the most interesting things for the evening, honestly, in my opinion. YouTube is making this sort of effect that when a YouTuber says the word subscribe, the actual subscribe button down below under the video will glow. And this isn't even a joke. People have seen this uh, at first hand. There were some people that had mentioned it. And there was also even someone that said when you say the like button, uh, it will also glow. However, there really hasn't been a whole lot of evidence towards that. Uh, But you can even see there's a video here uh, that actually shows uh, when someone is saying subscribe, 
it'll actually glow. It's really cool. And, you know, with the adaptive technology we have now, uh, it's not surprising that this kind of stuff can be done. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised in the sense that it's cool and I'm amazed by it because that just helps creators a lot to be able to get them, uh, more subscribers and people to be able to, um, subscribe to that content. It's kind of funny and I don't like to disagree or call you out. I actually have a very different approach on this. Okay. I think it's, it's I think in my mind it's more of just a cool little thing that's there. Almost, if I were to say, almost borderlining on the term gimmick. And here's the reason why. Okay. Uh, 90% of the time you watch a YouTube video, you switch to full screen. Or you're on your phone. I really don't think this has a big impact on whether people subscribe or not. I don't, That's my take on it. I don't know why, but genuinely, I actually didn't think about that. Well, that's just like the first thing I was like, wait a second. When they showed this video, it wasn't in full screen. I was like, okay, well, that's cool, though. I like the fact that it lights up. It just kind of adds a little bit more of a part of the ambiance that they've been doing lately uh, since they had that update that people were so polarized by. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I'm like, I don't really feel like it matters that much. I can see how some people would actually see this as a you know wow I, I like the fact that they're doing this and maybe some creators are you know big into this but yeah for me i just don't feel like it matters and even if the like button was doing the same thing it just wouldn't really kick me the same way either so that's kind of where i sit on this but like you're saying we are at that stage ai is taking a tremendous jump uh especially within the past year and with open source yeah uh, and also one other quick thing is that, uh, this is a side note for YouTube. They're actually testing a smaller skip ad button. Son of a hamster. I hate this company. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you do that? Oh, uh, it's just making you harder just to be able to click on it. Eventually by the year 2030, it's going to be just this tiny little thing. You have to try and find You're it. You're not going to see it. Yeah. But there's the other thing. They're making a smart YouTube button and we'll link an image down below. Uh, I think we're both in agreement that that's just more ridiculous than a glowing you subscribe button. Uh, yeah. But, the opposite direction. But uh, yeah, I, I actually, yeah, I agree with you. Um, It would be nice to see maybe the subscribe button be within the full video and being like on the side. Within the UI. Yeah. Yes. Um, that would be interesting to because see. they even talked about that. They even talked about how their own creators have used a certain uh, graphical animation illuminations and anim- animations come up. But I think that would be great. That would have been even better because that way the user doesn't have to do anything, or the viewer doesn't have to do anything, and nor does the creator. It's just built into the full screen video UI. Mm-hmm. So that is a really good point, Riley. I'm actually glad you kind of brought that up because I didn't even think about that side of things of how to fix it, even though I kind of gave that impression of I don't really like what they did. Yeah. So if you are listening on YouTube, please subscribe. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but in either case. Yep. So that's uh, YouTube. And I think you have something regarding uh, T-Mobile, right? Yeah. So I actually asked this question before. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I didn't really think I'd be asking it again, or at least not so soon. Uh, the last time I did this was when T-Mobile was going to uh, merge or acquire Mint Mobile. Mm-hmm. And I felt like maybe they were stretching them for, themselves out too far. Uh, they're doing it again. And it's kind of scaring me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Agreed. so far, it's been the main two that we've talked about or th- that we've noticed has been Sprint, of course, has been the big one. 
where they've acquired and Sprint is pretty much non-existent now. We didn't really hear anything about them, even though the logo kind of merged and Sprint became Magenta, but that's yeah. been gone. Um, and then you had Mint Mobile with Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> now we have U.S. Cellular. And yeah. I'm just amazed that they are this is this is by the way there's no confirmation from t-mobile but they are in the they seem to be the front runner for acquiring u.s cellular which has about i believe it was five million subscribers to their uh, service over i think it was 20 maybe it's 21 yes. states yep. so they're they're a decent size uh carrier yeah but i'm just i there's no money that's mentioned no ballpark at all but do you feel like this is a good idea for T-Mobile to do this? I mean, I know they'd be, they'd be grabbing more, you know, towers and such and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of a little nervous because in a stage where inflation is more of a concern, they're now spending more money to acquire or merge another company with their own. And we've already seen them hike prices. We've already seen layoffs yes. take place. Uh, I think they just had 5,000 recently, if I'm not mistaken, 5,000 layoffs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or maybe that maybe that was AT&T. I don't remember. But yeah, what is your take on this, Riley? Well, actually, I was going to come out um, uh, from that angle is not only is this, would this give T-Mobile a reason to increase their rates, but it also eliminates competition. And I saw the, this uh, down in some comments where people are like, great a lot less competition have because that's how the free market works when you have the ability to make product and there's not people grabbing and as you uh put it in the which i actually liked what did you say uh the next innocent snake in the path of python's prowl to be sucked down that's the best way to put it it's just like it's a powerhouse with t-mobile and i i've enjoyed their cellular service i'm not talking bad about them as a company oh no i have too no it's i'm great. scared they're going to become another verizon that's what i'm scared yes of. and then it's a whole cycle of their quality being lost either that or just their price just increasing because that's really the biggest problem with verizon so yes that's a major issue you know we, we see diversity in major companies like apple google samsung all these guys and it gives people like options that they are able to see. Now, some might argue, yes. well, if you had one just sole company, there wouldn't be so many decisions to make. Right. But you're also not taking into consideration the fact that they have the control as where all their financial, uh, all their finances go, all their business happens, and they can easily increase the price because where else are you going to go to? Yes. If it's one thing that Gen X, millennials, and maybe even Gen Zs have learned is when they grew up playing the game of Monopoly, this is something that that's stuck in their head right away. And they realized, oh, wow, if I control everything, I can yeah. you know, control the pricing, the rent goes up and whatnot. So it's <laughs> this is the whole story of it. And yeah. this is the concern that we have as right. consumers is what's the problem with acquiring another carrier? Well, the problem is, is that it means one less person or one less company that you can compete with, like Riley's saying, and the price just goes up. Correct. So that's one side of thing of the thing. The other side is that I'm kind of concerned about, you know, what I would think that T-Mobile would have the better foresight to realize, okay, is this something we can or cannot do? But are they biting off more be than some they can downsize shoot? to it? Exactly. Could there be some downsides yeah. to it where, you know, it affects them in a negative way? Right. Yeah, That that's kind of my issue with it. It's kind of unsettling, yeah. honestly, just because you're starting to see a trend with them. And it's just, I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe on, because I always do this. Devil's advocate. Playing devil's advocate here. 
very minute. Here, here comes Devil's Advocate Riley. Um, no, you know what? I don't see any. I don't see any way. Good way. There's no way to play Devil's Advocate here. It's just ridiculous. I try to think of a good way to see it, but I just don't. I can't see it right now because there, it, there's no light at the end of the tunnel with this. It's just going on constantly. Companies being pulled in, and it's you know, it's a powerhouse. It really is. But uh, to kind of move away from that. Google, the Pixel 8, Pixel Watch uh, 2, uh, they released a teaser trailer for this. and I'm Like they needed to. Yeah, we already knew. <laughs> they don't need to release a teaser. <laughs> they, don't even, they don't even need to do like a, uh, an actual like showing of the actual products because we already know. We're good. But actually, I will say this, this uh, teaser trailer was pretty nice, pretty relaxing. Uh, interestingly, though, this specific teaser trailer, it didn't get me hyped. It didn't get me hyped, but I did like the way that it was kind of introduced from the Google. Oh, the they did a o, great job. And on, then it's shifting yes. into the eight. Yep. That was genius. Absolutely. That was really cool. Yes. And even just a quick sneak peek of the phone, the Pixel, I wasn't surprised by anything, and I'm sure neither nope. were you. Nope. The porcelain looks really good, especially on the yeah. uh, earbuds, which I actually don't think. Did we talk about the porcelain and the earbuds? Uh, No, but I saw rumors of them. Okay. So that so it wasn't passing then, um. But yeah, still yep. still a pretty cool, uh, trailer. And there was also uh, another video of the um Pixel Eight and Pixel Eight Pro as well. Again, this video will probably be in the actual event, but you know yeah. who knows. Regardless, it's still cool to actually see the final product from Google themselves. Uh, but yeah. I don't know what what did you think uh, in general about this. Any major thoughts or? Well, there was ironically another video for the watch in and of itself uh, for the second gen that I saw from Google. Mm -hmm. Wasn't really excited about it at all just because I knew nothing was going to change. And that video of it itself didn't really have anything impressive. Not major bearing. Period. Uh, All they saw, all all they showed was the crown, the front screen, maybe a little bit of the bands. I just had to laugh at it. Really, I did see, however, another kind of an advertisement from Google about their jab at Apple and how the Pixel has USB-C. Oh, yeah. The iPhone 15 is just now getting USB-C. That ad was priceless. If they didn't add that, it it would have been like a waste not to say that, because it's like if you want to make sure you get your own users to get your phone or other users to get your phone, you say, hey, guess what we got? Now, granted, the iPhone 15 is going to have USB-C this year, but that's besides the point. They've already had it for like a while now, so it's... Yeah, and that was the funny part, is like, because the they had the whole entire Siri voice saying, I'm about to get USB-C or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And it was just hilarious, and I loved it, because I, I was like, yeah. Yep. And, and, and it's face. just a great way for... I don't know if they've already done this in their uh, pre-recordings for the keynote, but it's a great way for them to do the editing and delete any. We're adding USB-C, which I doubt that they'll do that because they're not typically one to announce something that's being changed when everyone else is already angry about it. Oh, yeah, I know. We've seen that with the butterfly keyboard and many other t- t- touch bar. So that's beside the point. But as far as back to the Pixel 8 and the, the watch the, for the for the promo, yeah, the promo really cool, looked cool. That was a great way to go about introducing. I kind of wish they would have waited for the event to do that one. Cause Honestly, there was really no point just because pretty much everyone's seen images online of it. I mean, it's... No, not so much that. I meant the actual intro, the graphical intro. Oh, of it yes. Yeah. Because that I, really would have been I think it would have been better nice. if you could have said that. Yeah. Yeah. But. 
So, but as far as the problem, yeah, yeah, I don't really think you could care or if it would have made it a huge difference. But we just had to poke fun at that and bring it up. Um, somebody commented on this article and said that something along the lines of so much for being secure. And in, they were in reference to Apple. Mm-hmm. And I kind of have to qu- ask this question. Do, you, do people have a misconception of Apple and their security? Or does Apple, do you feel like Apple portrays itself as being invincible? Um, and this is, this yeah. is uh, kind of pushing to the iOS 16.6.1. So it's a security patch. Right. I don't think Apple's made themselves out to be invincible. At least not. I don't feel like they've they've said that. I don't feel like they've even claimed anything such. No. For people to say that Apple has claimed that or that they think they're some amazing, all-powerful company, that's just basic yeah. speculation. I mean, you can't say that they have really. Because if they did, that'd be kind of ridiculous for any company to come out and say, there's no way you can hack. Because... There's always issues in the past where an update comes out yeah, and it, it's human error. We're humans. We make mistakes and it's accepted, right? Yeah. Um, and so just to say that we would never have anything is to basically exclude the fact of any previous issues that Apple's had for updates for the bending iPhone six. <laughs> there's just there's just a lot yeah. to go through. So, no, I don't I don't think Apple has claimed that. They've never said that, at least not that I'm aware of. So Right. And I I, I mean, in some ways I felt like that might have been a rhetorical question, but I had to ask it that way because it just seems so ridiculous that somebody would say, you know, like so much for being secure. The point is, is that when you have software and you keep on updating the security to prevent up till then unknown vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. it will elicit the the realization that Anytime you have an update, anytime you have software, hackers are always going to find ways around it. They're always going to find uh, a new angle to try to infiltrate that system or software. Right. So I don't know why people attack it from that angle because it doesn't truly make any sense to me. 16.6.1 is a security update to address an issue where an executable file could actually run a program that allows the predator to read the messages on your phone. Yeah. Uh, the program is called Pegasus and has since then been banned uh, by the Biden administration. And it's, it's been used across multiple phones and countries. I think the article cited something about being used in Saudi Arabia for a journalist who was thereafter killed because mm-hmm. of that hacking software. Yeah. Uh, but in either case, that is what 16.6.1 is supposed to do. It's supposed to um, defend against that file being executed so it can run that program. The funny thing is, is the victim can't even do, it wouldn't even do anything. There's nothing that, you know, you would have to press okay on or anything. It would be in the background and it would just run. So right. that's the danger of it all. You wouldn't even know. And the fact, yes, exactly. And the fact that Apple is taking those strides and realizing what needs to be done and getting right on it with a 16.6.1 update I'm kind of surprised they didn't actually release it as a security response because those are the small ones that you can install really quickly. But in either case, it's out there. I think it just proves those comments because it actually shows that Apple does care so much that they're willing to keep on putting those security updates and try and resolve the issue. There, I feel like they're maybe not a step ahead of things, but they're right. at that point where it's before a whole mass of users become the victim. Oh, yeah. 
Right. So that's the positive side of things. And I always kind of like to compare them to Toyota because even though Toyota has a lot of recalls, they, they're in place because they have such high standards and restrictions and stipulations that are in place to help provide the consumer Correct. with a better product and overall experience. Yes. So that said, to make that remark is absolutely ludicrous and stupid. So that's kind of my take on it. Uh, I feel like we kind of seem to be on the same page as far as that's concerned. But oh, yeah. in either case, uh, you had a minor update. Is that right? Yeah, this actually came out on August 24th, but because of our whole recording issues and I had my anniversary, it kind of was left in the dust for a little bit. But Thread's social <laughs> network, uh, they finally expanded to the web version. So I kind of talked oh, about a couple weeks ago, and I know yep. no one in this call right now is interested <laughs> in this. But for those who do care, uh, the you can access the desktop version now. Uh, it's out there, and like I did say, I do think that the reason why people kind of fell out of this whole Threads thing was because there was no desktop access yet. Uh, and I still I still stand by that because um, there are many, and I think most social media platforms or messaging things that actually have a desktop version. Yep. And it's just, it's efficient, it's easy to use. There's some truth to that. Yeah, the funny thing was is that when I read that article and it, it referenced something about how they believe that the web version is part of the reason why Threads has leveled out. Ironically, once again, we are at odds. I had to laugh at that because I felt like if anything is going to take off, it's going to be on an app-based platform. That's my take on it. I really don't see the need or the kick for having a web-based based version. Does it provide more clarity? Can you put it on a bigger screen? Can you feel more immersed in it? Maybe so. But I just don't see that that would be the reason for them dropping off like that. I know you would probably see it, it, see it differently, but that's just, I just don't get it. I don't see the push for the web version. I think it's nice. I think you can probably make it more expansive, but... I don't think it's uh, the main reason, and I don't think it's the reason why majority of people actually fall out. But I do think there was that percentage that just wanted this top app because you have Messenger, you have you know a way to communicate with people on desktop, and that's essential because we're always communi in communication. Yes, we have our phones, yep. um, but desktop is also a very important aspect of that. So I disagree with you to an extent. I still feel like there was a fallout of, let's say, for battle like a term, like 10%, 15% of people that just popped off because there was no desktop version. And it is kind of weird to think about because you would expect it in, like desktop wouldn't be the forefront of that. Yeah. But when you have a lot of social media platforms that utilize desktop and people are kind of used to that, I feel like it does have some implication as to why some people fell off. But that's... I mean, that's just one how I think about it. But Yeah, I guess I can kind of see where you're coming from. And I think as of right now, there are some things that are still missing. I think direct mess direct messaging is missing from that web version. I'm sure there'll be up some updates to that yeah. here in the near future that we'll, uh, we'll add that on. But actually, on a quick transition back to kind of what we were talking about with Apple, I'm curious, what we've, we've kind of referenced, oh, this is good, this is better. What do you feel like is a reasonable timetable for OS upgrades as far as how long a product is supported, specifically a smartphone? I would say the obvious answer, and maybe it's not that obvious, but four to five years. I feel like that's how usually every company does it, and I'm okay with that. I feel like Apple has set the standard as that. Yes, yes. I would like to see it be more than that, but I feel like that's an average that's okay. I'm not, I can tolerate that. I'm not upset by it. I would like to see maybe even six or seven, but I also understand that companies have to have a limit because otherwise, after they've 
went through like what four or five phones by then there's just so much that a company has to work through to keep those updates going so i don't know you could argue either way but i feel like five is all right and i see the i'm not sure if this is exactly how it works but if i had to guess i believe there's probably a team that works for each phone yes i was thinking that too to upgrade them so you have to pay that team to develop the next gen operating system to support uh the older phone right and uh so there's that aspect to it the other aspect is how often are people upgrading because if i had to guess i feel like fewer and fewer people are in that three to five year range yeah maybe that's me i feel like some people probably do upgrade two to three years enthusiasts yeah we're probably every year yeah the average person, though, yeah, the average person, two to three years. No, they're probably they probably are two to three years, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is three to five. I just that's kind of what I feel. Uh, and and the reason why I say that is because there are certain trading values that are offered. There's certain discounts. There's a way for you to upgrade without having to pay an arm and a leg. Yeah, and uh, especially if you wait, you know, a few years. But I was just kind of curious about that because now we have rumors that Google will potentially change their upgrading promise from three years of OS upgrades to five, possibly four if it's not in the cards. But that would mean that that would be five years of OS upgrades and five years of security updates. And as the article notated, it would be a bit of a jab at Samsung. Right, because they have their updates first and foremost because they are google and they they own that but and even the article said that if they did it for four years that would, would still, still be put better. them ahead of samsung right. because samsung has one year behind when they release their phones so it's just the way it works as i was reading this article something came to mind and it kind of was related to what you just said do you think that it's kind of unfair for other and maybe this is just the company's fault or samsung's fault but do you think it's kind of unfair that google even though they own the company android I think it's kind of unfair that Every other company that has Android is one year behind. The problem is it's when it's released. Mm -hmm. Samsung is not on the same timetable as Google. They are in early spring of the following year of when that OS was released. That's true. Which is why their OS is out of date. Hmm. So that's not fault of Google. That's that's fault of Samsung. Not necessarily. That yeah, that's just the way it works. Um, and I don't think Samsung will ever change that. I think that's just the way it. They, that's they just like the way I, they. I think that span that, that spreads it out too, because you can't really have a whole bunch of companies releasing their flagship product at the, in the exact same time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's so, a good point. So because then you'd have everything coming in at September, October, November. That would just be insane. It'd be insane um, for us because we wouldn't have a normal episode. <laughs> it'd be insane for us it'd be insane for um phone uh manufacturers um, case manufacturers companies and stuff like that case companies yes yeah. semiconductors etc 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 it'd just be an absolute train wreck yeah that makes sense i didn't think about that yep so there's that to it because we know that google works with manufacturers and they give them you know open betas right away that is true yeah uh to work with and even companies like uh, OnePlus, they used to be known for releasing them quite quickly. Uh, nowadays, it's not so much the case, but that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. But that's pretty much that. That was the question to it all. There's really not, nothing else to it. That's very good for Google five years. Yeah. It, it, I think it takes one more check away from um, a positive notion for Apple because that used to be their big selling point was, oh, we've, we, we, not that they've ever said it. 
but they support their phones for, you know, five, six years. Yeah, that's their staple. And now Google and, you know, even Samsung to some extent, they're going along with that route of following suit, giving people a longer ride on their on their purchase. So, uh, yeah, but we'll go ahead and move over to a car company again. And just as a side note, if you haven't picked up on it, JD and I usually have a blind topic at the end. So we don't know what the other person is going to talk about. I was debating whether to make this the blind topic or not. So, uh, Polestar, uh, they are actually in the works of possibly making a, a smartphone uh, alongside uh, this smartphone company from China called Jingji Mizu. I think I pronounced that probably okay. And uh, the goal is to basically into have this phone, not necessarily like a huge, amazing flagship phone, but to be able to integrate it well with their cars. And I'm actually really interested uh, by this. And I, I don't hate it at all. I think if a car does not follow suit with like Apple CarPlay or or an auto, they obviously, like we talked about last week, they have their own type of thing that they do, yeah. just like Tesla. Yep. But to actually create a phone, and I think we even discussed Tesla or um, Elon making a phone possibly. That was a we while back, but uh, <laughs> that's aside from the point. Yes. And it's it's cool to see when a company actually integrates this type of uh, technology to be able to use for a car. I don't have a problem with this. I think it's a cool idea. Uh, there really wasn't a whole lot of information regarding this and no, like when wasn't. it would be released or anything. But did you have any uh, interesting thoughts about this at all? I kind of had to look at this from a certain angle to see, is mm-hmm. this smart? Yeah. Because you kind of, you come at this from the position of, if you want a seamless integration with your car, use this phone. I don't necessarily like that. I think that what they're doing is a cool idea, but I feel like I it throws some limitation this. on it to some... <laughs> yeah, and it throws some limitation yeah. on it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Actually, now that I thought about it, I, I most people are already set in stone, and maybe they never settle. Most people are already set in stone of the phone that they they already have. They're used to that, and so for for a company, and this is obviously a luxury car, so it's it's not like every yes. person has this. But for most people that already are sold into a phone like Apple or Samsung or whatever. For them, for the company to say, hey, if you really want a more integrated and more interesting experience by this phone is like, I don't know, you could you could say if they're if they're that wealthy, they could afford the second phone. But that's kind of the point. It's more of like you'd have to be like Michael Fish or Captain Two Phones. Yes. And that does not suit well with most people. I don't want to be a fish. Uh, but like, I, I think I think your, your point was good. This car, you know, the Polestar with the ev and everything like that which mm-hmm. I, I guess you could say it is kind of luxury in some ways it's it's premium yeah is not for the average person no i think this is important because we kind of get to see how a car manufacturer goes about doing this and this is really great insight for musk to see okay yes what approach exactly. is this going to take how is it going to integrate how well are people going to accept it or vice versa i like that this is taking place the concept is great i have yes the concept is great like I said, I have some concerns about it, mm-hmm. and I, I have yeah, some I agree. annoyances to it. But outside of that, uh, this is like you said, there's not too much to this to this topic. But it, there's a little bit of something that I'm excited about, just yeah. just to kind of see something a little bit different on the horizon and, and how it will take place. So for sure. But to get towards the end of our episode here, the one of the closeout topics for myself is you remember the whole thing between the U.S. and TikTok. Well, it's kind of still going on, as well as the U.S. and Huawei. Yeah. Well, Beijing is reportedly stopping some of its in-state employees from using Apple's smartphones. Really? 
Uh, yeah, it's just kind of their take on, you know, how the U.S. does things as, as far as um, using foreign technologies and such. Mm-hmm. So do you kind of see this as like the future of various countries, like only using smartphones from their own, well, how, I guess how you would say it, homeland companies? Logically, I don't know why you would want to do that. <laughs> and maybe maybe this isn't necessarily an argument for that, but I, a lot of the parts are made in China anyway. And the business that runs between Apple and China is really good. Yeah, that whole entire thing with Foxconn, and I, I, that, yeah. that was the other challenging part of things is because of all of the you know obstacles and slowdowns and delays with Foxconn and Apple taking their responses to kind of diversify the manufacturing process across multiple countries or locations so that way it's not so detrimental to their profitability and such so yes that is true and i i it just i just kind of found it a little disturbing in some cases because if this does transition to not just state employees but if they actually ban it to all uh countrywide citizens uh it could really hurt apple because they've already seen a just about a 7% hit on their market, which is about $200 billion. Which is kind of funny if you think about it, because Apple's always been the one, always been known to be the one about hypersecurity and all that kind of stuff. When Android, not so much. So it begs the question, why are they concerned about a company that is super secure and not one within maybe their own country that isn't as much? Well... Yeah, that's a that's a true point there. Uh, the response I would have to that is this perception that they're an advocate of security, but you could kind of Only see them the doing US so with places. their own. Yeah, yes, exactly. That's so that's kind of where I see it coming from. And that's kind of how I would see Huawei to a certain point. Like, okay, well, it's not big of a concern in China because that's just they can do what they want with their own technologies and their right. citizens just yep. have to deal. We have the same thing with our government where we're, we know they, you know, have certain capabilities and they're probably spying on us right now. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> not or so goes that. the theorist. Yeah, yeah. So, and then the other irony of this was that Huawei actually had their Mate 60 Pro come out with. 5G technologies that are pretty advanced mm-hmm. competing with what we have here in the States. And the U.S. Commerce Department said that they were going to investigate how Huawei got their hands on these advanced chips. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes them wonder, okay, did they actually go through the right process or are they, are they using something here in the States that is actually banned? Oh, uh, yeah. So... It's it's one of those it's one of those ironies as well, and I just I f- I find this yes it's important yes it's critical but I do have to appreciate the irony and maybe a little bit of the humor as well. So that's a fair point. Yeah, I don't really yeah. have too much else to say about that, but uh, it is questionable. I guess you could say an arguable on both sides, but yeah, I think it's just going to be scary to see maybe how much of a hit this does come on Apple if things progress and if it continues to be a, a downward spiral. Yeah, uh, because they do rely on the uh, the Chinese market quite a bit. I think the numbers are. Let me see here. The uh, according to the article from Yahoo, the company generated fifteen point eight billion dollars in sales from China alone last quarter. Hmm. So that's about nineteen percent of its total. 
So it's it's a decent chunk. Gotcha. Uh, it's about a fifth. So that would be kind of difficult to navigate around or, or kind of adjust how you're going to approach things. So which could mean that they do adjust where they produce it and manufacture things as well. And who knows how, you know, the component situation would, yeah. would fare too. So something that we'll keep our eyes on, but kind of uh, a little bit of an alarming situation there. So Agreed. in either case, you had something that you wanted to uh, close out the show with. Yeah, uh, hopefully it'll be a good uh, blind topic here. Speaking of Apple, there's a, a newly shown patent uh, that's been granted uh, for them for a digital crown on the Apple glasses. And uh, this actually hasn't, we, we have not discussed glasses in a while, I think, it lasts six months because it was kind of in a couple rumors early on this year, but, you know, they were hard to tell if they were true or not. Everything got steamrolled by Vision Pro, yeah. Oh yeah, everything was like just blown away by that. But uh, there are some, there are these, uh, and these are actually full-on schematics, I guess you could say. So yeah, this is essentially a schematic showing uh, how this would work. So the patent is actually for the cr- a crown on the right side of the glasses, and this is similar to how uh, you know an Apple Watch is with their crown, you can scroll through and that kind of thing. Well, the idea is similar here. So basically, you'd be able to scroll through overlays whether it be camera, music, possibly the brightness, uh, maybe even utilization of your own car, pictures, stuff like that. And uh, there's even some actual uh, information put out uh, about certain figures. For example, on uh, figure 8, it shows that side view operation of HMD, which can include the smart glasses, and the user's finger, which is A24, uh, can cause yeah. the applications to move or change. Which, honestly, I, I think that's what they also used for the Vision Pro as well. So it's it's not a surprise that they'd be implementing this into the classes. And um, obviously, this this is a patent, so not a lot of patents do you know come to fruition. Make but, it to the final production line, yeah. But this is still cool because it shows that, at the very least, Apple is still con- in, in a continued pursuit to try to complete this thing. So... I don't know what your thoughts about this were. Um, it kind of reminds me of how it's really weird when when I'm looking at this uh, schematic or blueprint or whatever you want to call it. It reminds me of album art from the old uh, music app on outdated versions of I- iOS, and okay. how when you rotated the iPhone or iPod sideways it would give you the album art and kind of scroll through all the albums and stuff like that. Or, or oh the artists. yeah, that's right. I remember now. That's kind of what it reminds me of, and it's just in this case, there is a middleman between the finger and the screen, and that's obviously the crown, So, which is, which is dictating what is being seen right. through the glasses. So I'm a little surprised by this, only because uh, when was this report taken? Or, or September 5th, it seems. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a bit surprising. I mean, I, I get the whole entire uh, patent. That makes sense. That's not a surprise. But it does make you question, like, what what direction are they heading in? And is this just something that we'll see? I don't know. Because, yeah, you, already, you, you did make a good point of how this is essentially part of Vision Pro. So to see something else, maybe this could be some sort of factor where it's a lower end yeah. imitation yeah, I could of see that. Vision Pro. Yeah, so that's that's kind of where I'm seeing it take place, but I don't know. Yeah, there's one other thing I forgot to mention is that another method could be eye tracking similar with the Vision Pro uh, that's oh, okay, labeled yeah. in the uh, this whole uh, article right here. 
So uh, we might see that, uh, and, and they may be sort of uh, coinciding with each other. So you use the crown and you use your eye movement as well. I don't know how that would be uh, de- delivered, but um, you know we'll have to see how that mm. works because it. I've I've been always uh, ever since this rumor came out about the these specific glasses. Glasses. I've been yeah. just waiting for them just to see like how that would work. See, no pun intended. Just to see how that would work. But yeah, uh, yeah it it is a really interesting thing. Yeah, it's kind of questioning because with Vision Pro, I from my understanding. The actual screen is a little bit further set off from the eyes or where you would typically see glasses, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. So it allows yeah. the eye tracking to have a better handle on, you know, between the two uh, pupils on where it's going. Yep. With this, it kind of makes me wonder how this actually tracks it and such. So I don't know. Obvious, the, the clarity yeah. between all this is the fact that you're looking they give you an image of regular glasses and then they, you know, Photoshop some sort of iOS type of graphics onto it. So that's, right. that's, the yeah, side. it kind of makes you, so you kind of have to, you kind of have to stretch your mind and not get so limited on what they're showing you. The funny part would be, is like, if we were to kind of just imagine this, where would they put the battery? I'm guessing maybe the stems on the glasses. I'm thinking know. it would have to be the stems. Yeah. Yeah, so that's just kind of a side note there. But yeah, here's my question for you. Okay. When would you think they might actually come out with this? Or let's just say announce it. I would have to say 2026 or 2027. Okay, I was going to say 2027. I was saying 27 myself. That's where I was sitting. Because quite frankly, Vision Pro has to take some traction. It does. Um, They have to work out a lot of kinks. I would say the more I talk about it and probably the more, you know, you're hearing me on this, the earliest would be 2027. That's how I feel. Yeah. Yep, I, I, would, I would agree with you. Because right now we're at the end of 2023, so really you only have about three years. Yep. And I don't feel Definitely. like three years is enough for a, a product like Vision Pro with its mass scale technologies that are built into it and how immersive it is to really work out all those bugs and kinks because we haven't even seen it yet and i guarantee you there's a plethora of issues that are gonna surface yeah you need a lot of time to develop your starter product and you also need time for technology to develop there as well because i still feel like it's just not ready yet uh kind of like how i said last time so there's a lot of things that need to take place here. There's a, a lot of uh, progress that needs to be made, but I don't. I'm not really in doubt that this will be a thing uh, in you know late twenties. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll have to see how this how this plays out. And uh, obviously, for you guys, we'll keep you updated with any rumors because this is probably one of the most interesting things. I'm outside of the Apple Car. Yes. Is yeah. Oh uh, yeah. The Apple Car. That yeah. Come across because it's something you normally don't see every day <laughs> or don't see at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think the other thing that you have to take into consideration is the reception of yes. Vision Pro from the community That's and consumer true. standpoint. There's your starter so, test. And I kind of feel like $3,500 is a horrible way to test people out. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is, you know, AR, VR. So it is, there is some expense that goes into it. However, I feel like there could be a cheaper way to offer this. And I just, I'm not... Not in favor of how Apple approached this, but hey, that's how they like to do it with the with the latter 
uh, positions of their products. So yep. there you have it. But in either case, that does close us out for this week on Debatable. Like I said, again, next week, we're going to have a whole entire review on the Apple event, kind of our take on things, opinions, what they did right, what they did wrong, what uh, we feel would be a really good hit. Obviously, there's a lot of expectations, a lot of things that are already known. So mm-hmm. some of the stuff won't really be a surprise for Riley or myself. <laughs> no. But outside of that, we will actually catch you guys early next week for our regular newscast and some updates and rumors that were taking place then. So that said, this is JD and Riley, and we will catch you guys in the next one. Peace out. Peace out.